0: I've been struck by this fact that, as a pastor, one of the most intimidating things for me is that I am constantly asked to teach on topics that I am not an expert in. Like the Bible addresses all these, these things about life and death, and so often I am absolutely intimidated in, it, and I'm speaking on these topics, and I'm not, you know, professional in any way, shape or form on many of these things. But having said that, I'm pleased to report that today, on today's topic, I am an expert, because it's on anxiety and worry, and um, it's going to be so good. Normally, I'm not a competitive person, but I think I could out-worry all of you. <laughs> and some of you are going to talk to me about it afterwards, and some of you right now are thinking, great, this is either going to be like, the best person to speak on this topic or the worst person. We'll see how it goes. I'm not worried about it. Okay, let's study the Bible together. Matthew chapter five, or excuse me, Matthew chapter six. We're looking at verses 25 through 34 as you have been going through the most famous sermon ever preached, looking at all the themes of the kingdom of God as Jesus taught. Today we come to verse 25 of chapter six. Let me read this text and then lead us in a prayer together once more and just invite the Holy Spirit to bring freedom into this area of our lives. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that every person in this room matters to you. And that you are intimately aware of and concerned with all the details of our lives. And we ask this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak into our worries, that you would speak into our anxieties, that the cares of our soul that just burden us, distract us. Father, I pray that today we would begin to experience healing in the way that we think about our jobs, our marriages, our children, uh, just daily living, our safety. In the city, all these these cares that, that often burden our hearts. Heavenly Father, we invite you to speak to us. God, I pray that we would be open before you. That we would not just think that this is a word for someone else or to the people next to us, but for our very lives. So help me, God, serve these men and women right now as we seek to understand your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. I believe it was Winston Churchill who said, when I look back on all these worries, I remember the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which never happened. (laughs) I love that statement because it raises a question for me, and I'm sure it raises a question for you. What good has worrying ever Done, don't answer that out loud. What good has worrying ever done in my life? The famous uh, author, A.J. Cronin, he actually divided up our worries into these categories. Real legitimate concerns, about 8%. Health-related worries, some of you are like, that's me, well that's 12%. Petty miscellaneous worries, that's 19%, for me it's probably 50 Things that happened in the past that can't be changed by all the worry in the world, that's 30%. And last but not least, 40% things that never happen. (laughs) It's unbelievable. This author just does this survey and asks around, like, what are the things that we worry about and how much good have they ever done? Now, this really hits home for, for me, because I, I, I am definitely prone to worry. I am prone to anxiety. Uh, earlier in the summer, when Pastor Dave asked me to speak in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm like, oh, great. Would love to do it. I'll be in the States. What's my topic? He's like, worry and anxiety. And then I was worried. I was like, wait, does, <laughs> does Dave think I'm a worrier? Like, oh, no. And then I was like, worried about speaking on worry. And... You know, goes on and on and on. And then add to the fact that, you know, two years ago, I just like, you know, sold most of what we have and we moved to another country where everything is unfamiliar for us. I've been married for 16 years. I have three children, 13, 10, and 5. So that, that is my life. We're just covering all the spectrums. And there's just, there's a lot of things for me to worry about. Like I'm worried about family stuff. I'm worried about how things will go. There, there's a lot of temptation for me to worry. Now, some of you at this moment, you're like, this guy is neurotic. He probably shouldn't be teaching. But here's the deal. (laughs) Every single one of us, to one degree or another, we worry about something. And this is not a modern problem. It is a very old problem. In fact, it's simply a, a human problem, which is why Jesus addresses it here. To one degree or another, all of us worry about something. Take money, for example. They say, especially in uh, the United States, that one of the number one causes of stress and worry and anxiety that often leads to breakdown in family and marriages is money. doesn't matter how much you have. Some of you are like, well, I I don't have a lot of money at this time in my life. Well, it's like Oscar Wilde said, there's only one person who thinks more about money than the rich, and that's those who are not rich. (laughs) Just constantly worrying, like, how am I going to pay the bills next month? What about my job next year? How is that going to go? What happens if I lose my job? Then I'm going to have to get another job. And then I, maybe I won't be able to live in San Francisco. And then I'll have to go back to Bakersfield or wherever it is that, that you're from. And then, like, who am I? And, like, where's my identity? And what do I have to do? And then we, we look around at the world, and it seems that there is a lot to be worried about. I don't know about you, but um, especially, you know, living in the UK for the last year and a half, like every morning I've had this bad habit where I would just read the news on my phone. It, it's a terrible habit. And it was like just this disaster headline, like every single morning, stuff happening over the States. Oh, America's melting down. Oh, that's good. And then like, you know, all this crazy stuff happening, particularly in London. And I think many of us in this last year or two, we've just stopped to look around and say, has the world gone crazy? Like, on the one hand, it seems that there's a lot to be worried about. I don't know if you've come across um, uh, an author named uh, Jonathan Sachs. He's he's a chief rabbi of the Commonwealth, written a bunch of amazing books. But um, he, he gives all this kind of, you know, commentary on where culture's at. And from his perspective, in this world of uncertainty, he says this. The results lie all around us. The collapse of marriage, the fracturing of the family, the fraying of the social bond, the partisanship of a politics at a time when national entrance demands something larger, the loss of trust in public institutions, the buildup of debt whose burden will fall on future generations. Some of you are like, that's me. And the failure of a shared morality to lift us out of the morass of individualism, hedonism, consumerism, and relativism. We know these things, yet we seem collectively powerless to move beyond them. No problem. (laughs) Now, many of you are like, I don't feel uplifted yet. Like, this is church, I'm supposed to feel happy. In the midst of all of this, our own lives, the things that we're concerned with, anxious about, worrying about. Then we look out in, in the world. In the midst of all of this, Jesus says, don't worry. And our response is like, well, easy for you to say, Jesus. Like, he just shows up on the scene like, what are you guys worried about? He says, don't worry. And notice, it is not a suggestion. It is a command. And he says it three times in this passage. Something huge is at stake when it comes to worry. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't address this in the way that he does here. The Bible wouldn't address it in the way that it does throughout the rest of scripture. But at the outset, it's important to understand what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not prohibiting planning or foresight. It's unfortunate that I believe it's the King James uh, translation actually says, give no thought to tomorrow. And some of you who tend towards laziness, you're like, I love the Bible. Like, (laughs) I don't ever think about tomorrow. Like, I don't even, do you have a job? I I don't know. Like, I don't know. Tomorrow's Monday. Like, we'll just deal with it when it comes. (laughs) So unfortunately, that's not really, you know, the best translation. Take no thought to tomorrow. Jesus isn't saying, hey, everybody, like, don't plan, don't care. After all, the Bible says there is a right kind of care and concern that we ought to have. When worry appears, it's very much like um, a warning light that appears on the dashboard of your car. It's warning you that a potential danger might have arisen and you probably need to act on it. And at times there is such a thing as constructive concern. In that moment, if all the dashboard lights comes on, you're like, don't even worry. And it's like Bob Marley just like raging on your stereo. The passenger's like, maybe we should get gas. And they're like, don't even worry about it. Like, no, I think this is a legitimate concern. Like maybe we should put fuel in the vehicle that we're, we're driving. So the Bible talks all the time about constructive concern, but it very easily and very quickly becomes toxic. Our cares become consumed with speculation, exaggeration, aggregation, like all all these, these things begin to mix into our concerns. So here's my simple definition worry is care gone wrong. Worry is like poisoned care. Something gets in there and it just becomes an over-concern. And it's something that distracts us, it divides us, it debilitates us, it keeps us from being fruitful and efficient in the present moment. And the symptoms are many. It gives way to irrational fears, heightened irritability, physical tension, emotional strain, and oftentimes mental distress. And Jesus is saying... This is not how you are supposed to live. This is not how you're supposed to live. Now you know throughout the summer, the Sermon on the Mount is essentially an exposition of kingdom life. What what life looks like in the kingdom of God. When the reign of God comes into your life. And he states clearly... And we will very specifically at the end demonstrate that the followers of Jesus are to live very different lives. And so it is when it comes to our worry and our care. So what do we learn here that enables us to do this? Like What, what are we to take away? How does Jesus speak to the restless cares of our souls? Let me just give you three truths that are absolutely essential for us to deal with worries. Nothing overly profound, but let me just be completely honest. These are three truths that I need to remember for the sake of my own soul. And I hope that in highlighting them, you experience freedom and healing in your own soul. And the good news is that Jesus would not command something if it were not possible by his power and grace. The first is this, worry doesn't make sense. just keep in mind this first truth. Worry is contrary to common sense. It is not accidental here in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus uses the basic wisdom of human experience, and he begins with some very obvious illustrations. He starts out by addressing the very common areas of life where we tend to worry. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now notice, he doesn't exclude these things. He doesn't say that you know, these different elements of life don't matter. What he's saying is, isn't there so much more? Isn't there something so much greater and grander and more majestic and more important for us to focus our time and energy on than thinking about these things? Learn from the birds. I love that. I just picture Jesus like on the mount, you know, and everyone's there and like a bird flies by and he's like, learn from the birds. And like the disciples are like, oh, the birds, like just a wonderful illustration. What does he say about them? Look at the birds of the air, verse 26. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, Jesus here is not promising exemption from work. Some of you guys are like, dang it. (laughs) He's not saying like, look at the birds. Like, they don't do anything, and therefore you should do nothing. That is not the message of the Sermon on the Mount. We know from looking at nature that birds are you know, some of the most active creatures in all of creation. It's not that birds don't go and find their food. The point is that God has created a world in which it can be obtained. And then he goes on to say, are you not much more valuable than they? Which is both an encouragement and a rebuke. It's rebuke because Jesus is essentially saying the most important creature in the world has forgotten the most basic thing. We are created in the image of God. If God is aware of every bird on this planet and if you are of much more value than they, is not God concerned with you? Is not God a, a provider for you? Remember the world in which you live. Every morning you wake up. You wake up into a world that you did not create. A world that you do not control. Something I need to be reminded of constantly but rather a world that God has created, a world that God has sustained. The very breath in our lungs, the fine-tuning of the universe that makes life possible, like this is all coming from the very hand and power of God. And not that God is just some kind of distant creator who created this world like a watch, wound it up and let it run on its own. God is concerned with his creation. Are you aware of this? Stop. Recognize this. And then he goes on to speak to our worries from a different angle. What does worry actually achieve? Verse 27. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I love that phrase. It's just kind of a tongue-in-cheek, you know, subtle sarcasm of Jesus. Like, How many of you have actually added like hours and days and weeks and years to your life because you worried? No one is the answer. Nothing. We've added nothing to our lives. In fact, we all know, this is common sense, the opposite is true. Worry takes rather than gives. And have you noticed how when worry happens, it's like a giant circle. Worry always takes just a giant circle, like maybe you have a massive project due in your work this week. Some of you are like, oh, I'm getting anxious right now, like you've just reminded me church is my escape, and now you think, maybe think about work. So this is how worry starts, like, I have this project due. If I don't do well in this project, I'm not going to get that promotion. In fact, if I don't get that promotion, my job may be in danger. And then if my job is in danger, then, you know, maybe there's a better, another candidate that could take my place. And then I'm going to lose my job. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. I've got to get this deadline done. (laughs) What has that accomplished? (laughs) Like, it just goes in this massive circle. I mean, I think about this, this all the time. And it is deceptive because it makes us feel as if we're going to solve our problems, but it doesn't actually deliver. That's why somebody uh, cleverly defined worry as interest paid in advance on a debt you may never owe. Like, who wants to do that? Like, I'm giving money. I'm just giving money. I may never owe this debt, but I just want to, like, give money out. And because of that, for many of us, worry can feel like an addiction. In fact, many people have spoken of, of worry in that way. But, By standard definitions, worry can't even be categorized as an addiction because many of us know this. Addictions usually involve some kind of temporary pleasure. (laughs) Right? Like some of you are addicted to like binge watching on Netflix. Like you might do it tonight and you're just like. I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna eat something, and I'm gonna like watch Netflix and watch Stranger Things again, like all night long till three in the morning. And you may, if you do that, experience a temporary amount of relief, but usually you feel terrible afterwards. Not that I've ever done that. Usually some kind of addiction has, you know, there's some relief or some little hit of, of pleasure before it actually tapers off. But worry is bad when it begins, during the time you worry, and after you worry. Like, whoever said, oh, it just felt so good. Like, I just worried for an hour, and I just feel so great. Like, whoever calls up their friends and say, hey, can, can we worry together? Can we just go out on Sunday night and we'll just like freak each other out? Like, it'll be so great. <laughs> Like, put it on your calendar, like, my worry friend, we're going to, like, worry together on Sunday evening, and afterwards, it's like going to the gym, you're just like, yes! Oh, I just, I had the greatest weekend, I worried through all of it, and I'm ready to go back to work. It doesn't, Jesus is pointing out, he starts here, it is contrary to common sense, you don't even have to be a person of faith to understand the point that Jesus is making here. But he goes deeper than that. We need to remember that worry is contrary to common sense. But secondly, worry is an enemy of faith. To understand why this is, Jesus actually says something very positive before he then gives a negative. And we need to see the force of this in verse 28 through 30. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith? Jesus here in this portion of the paragraph, he does not necessarily... Or only appeal to nature, but rather what scripture says about nature. God is not only a provider, God is a creative provider. Jesus addresses both our practical need for clothing and and, and food and all of these things. There's not one area of life that God is disconnected from. See, one of the lies we believe is that God cares about what you're doing right now because you're at Reality San Francisco. Like, God is here. We're like, he's so here. He's present. But then if you went out shopping for clothes or you're like grocery shopping, is not God equally present with you in that moment? Is he not aware of and concerned with all of the different daily tasks, if there was any way for Jesus to be more clear, he says so here, I am with you, I, I, I care about, I am aware of all the things that concern you, even all of these, these practical and very simple details. Friends, God is not disconnected from the details of our life. And I love this. It was pointed out in a book I was reading this week. It is amazing that in this passage, God is not only referred to in a way as a farmer and as a baker, but also as a tailor. I love that. Like God, he's concerned about the food that we have and he provides for us and the work that we engage in. But here we're reminded that he, even, as, even as Solomon was clothed, he's got nothing on how God has clothed his creation. See, I think this is amazing because it would be very easy for us to think that somehow Jesus is anti-aesthetic. Like you're putting on an outfit and he's like, too much. Like, <laughs> Some of you were thinking that this morning, like too much, like church, you know, it's like got to find like, the balance, you know, not too bright and too colorful, but not too boring, got to stand out, whatever. I don't know what went through your mind. I usually go with like disappear. <laughs> It would be very easy to think that Jesus is just like, oh gosh, you guys care about like design and like, you know, graphic design, like who cares? It would be very easy for some people to come to that conclusion, but nothing could be farther from the truth. Jesus is not up in heaven, like always suspicious of something beautiful looking. (laughs) That is not the Jesus of the Bible. If that were so, he would not use the example of King Solomon as a comparison. And of course, Solomon was one of the richest men in the ancient world and would have been clothed in the fine apparel of his day. And yet he has nothing on the flowers of God's creation. And Jesus drives his point home by saying, you see the flowers? Do you see just nature? I know many of you, that, that's like how you kind of deal with the weekly stress of life. You know, on Saturday, you like go out to nature and you like kayak or like, I don't know whatever, whatever it is that you do, like something, how you connect with nature. And when you're, when you're around there and you look at it, this is, this is my wife. Like I, I tend to like being in urban areas. My wife, like the minute we get out to the country, she's like, ah, it's a tree. Like, and whenever we eat an orange, no joke. My wife's like, do you see how God designed the orange? Like it's perfectly sliced. (laughs) Some of you are like, whoa. like the greatest thing you'll learn from church today. Like, have you looked at an orange? That's going to be like your next argument with your friend who's like, you know, not a Christian. Like, have you ever eaten an orange? (laughs) How did that happen? (laughs) Jesus drives his point home by saying, take a good look at the beauty of nature. But even that is transitory. How much more? See, all of Christ's arguments are a lesser to greater. Look at the amazing things that I do in nature. How much more do I care about you? How much more am I concerned with with the things that concern you? You're worrying over your appearance. Don't you realize you are a human being? I have created you in my image. You are valuable to me. We so easily forget. The flowers are more beautiful than Solomon, yet they neither toil nor spin. But notice, their beauty is not in what they achieved, it's in what they received. And this is so often where we go wrong. We think that our worth and our value is on what we can achieve, not what we receive. And that's why we toil and we labor and we work because we think these things, the the provisions of life, this is what's going to give me value. This is what's going to give me significance in this life. And one of the lessons clearly that Jesus is teaching here by saying that you entered into a world that you did not make, a world in which God provides for you and that that he cares about you, is concerned with you, that the true provision you need is not something ultimately that you can achieve. It is something that simply must be received. God says, I created you. You have an inherent dignity. You don't have to earn my care. It's not like we have to jump up and down and say, God, will you please think about me? And God's like, what? Sorry, I'm like really busy running the planet. And you're just like a number in a big, you know, church auditorium. Like that's how how many of us feel. We just get lost in the crowd and like, I'm here. God cares about the church, but I don't know if he cares about me. Has anyone ever read Psalm 73? Oh, it's such a good psalm. It starts out with what you would expect to hear in church. It's like God is good, and people said all the time, right? There's like all the one-liners, you know. But then the psalmist goes on in the second verse and says, "But as for me, I almost stumbled when I saw and I envied the arrogant, the wicked. And why do they get this stuff? And why do they get that stuff? Like that—that's so often how the inner dialogue of the heart goes. Yeah, sure, God cares for creation. I just don't know if He cares about me, friends." Is there any way for Jesus to be more clear about his concern for you, about your value to him? He's saying when we're trying to live a life that is based on achievement and we're just laboring and toiling to try to you know, provide ultimately for ourselves, our he is saying that, that we make too much if we forget the beauty and provision that God has already given now, if you worry, the reason I say that worry is an enemy of faith. If you worry, what kind of faith are you manifesting? Jesus says, little faith. He says, Oh, you have little faith. This is what struck me this week. I I have a pretty vivid imagination. And oftentimes that's what fuels my worries, and I'm sure many of you could could agree. My imagination just goes wild. Like I will think up things that are so outlandish that my wife says, What are you worried about? I'm like, oh that this might happen, this might happen, you know, our house might flood while we're away on holiday. And she's like, Wow, like I wasn't stressed out, but now talking to you, like I'm (laughs) thank you, I'm I'm stressed out. And so I've often thought that, you know, my imagination is too big. But friends, one of the things I've realized in reading this is Jesus is not saying your imagination is too big. He's saying your imagination is too small. It's like we have tunnel vision and we're just imagining all these scenarios like what if this happens, what if this happens? Jesus says, you need a bigger imagination. What if God actually knew every detail? Imagine that. What if God knew far more than you could ever know about tomorrow? That's what the Bible says. Imagine if God was able to do miracles. What if God was able to provide in ways that you couldn't even think of? What if the loss of job or you know, um, savings or whatever situation you find yourself in, what if that did not take God by surprise? What if God is not waiting on the edge of his seat, like wondering what's going to happen? Like, honestly, that, that's the picture many of us have of God. Like, he's like, oh no. <laughs> like, when you pray, you're like, God, I'm losing my job. He's like, what? <laughs> how, how did this happen? Like, when did that happen? Ah, oh, Angelic hosts, what should we do about Tim's job? <laughs> like, God is not on the edge of his seat waiting to find out how it's all going to turn out like when we're watching a, a, a film. You know, wondering, like, how is it all going to end? That is not the picture that the Bible gives to us. But to the contrary, somebody actually prayed earlier in pre-service prayer. They're like, God, you own more money than, like, Google. And everyone's like, oh, amen. Like, that's good. (laughs) Because that's, like, the standard. Like, wow, they have a lot of money. But imagine, imagine if God was greater. See, we so often say, what if about my problems? What if about, but what if we just started going back to what scripture says? What if God was so much bigger than that? I've been reading recently through uh, the book of Genesis. And one of the things I love about reading through the narratives of the Old Testament is so much of it contains just the mundane aspects of daily life. Like they camped here and they settled here and then they had to like move away from this land and they went into the next land. And if any of you have moved house and you've moved your family to another state or another city, like that's a big deal. And I was just, I've been reminded in this season that God was aware like Abraham and, and all of these, you know, the, these great characters we read about in scripture, like God was aware of that. And yet he was caring for them in their own pilgrimage. He is aware of our own journey of life. He's concerned with it. Since God does so much for these plants, the flowers, the birds of the air, these things will pass away, how much more will he look after you? He says this very magnificent thing and then he gives this rebuke. If you worry, what kind of faith are you manifesting? It is little faith. Again, here's why I say that worry is an enemy of faith. To be a follower of Jesus is to know and believe you have a God who cares for you, values you more than you could possibly imagine, and to give into worry is to act like you don't have a heavenly father. To just give yourself over to this worry is to essentially act like you don't have a heavenly father who cares, contradicting the very thing that Jesus is saying here. Worry is the place where the the believer is tempted to act like an unbeliever. In fact, I've heard it put this way. If you're a follower of Jesus, you believe that God has rescued you from eternal destruction, the power of spiritual darkness. He's given you an eternal inheritance. He's placed his Holy Spirit in you. He's forgiven you of all of your sins, placed you into a community, but you don't think he's going to care for you next week. Worry is an enemy of faith. To worry is to disbelieve what Jesus says. Yeah, I know Jesus, but as for me. Yeah, yeah, I I know Jesus, but you know what? Like, I I think it's going to turn out a different way. And I've realized that so much of my worry is about control. Because we all fear what we cannot control. And I realize when I imagine scenarios in my mind, I start to get worried when my desired outcome isn't going the way that I thought. Like oh wow no um, you know August was supposed to go like this and it's not and uh, like my plan I had this I had this full idea of how everything was going to be mapped out so much of it's about control and if what we understand about faith is a relinquishing if you're here and you're not a Christian you want to understand what it means to follow Jesus it begins in that simple place of just saying Jesus I relinquish control of my life I surrender it to you you are God and I am not. That's where Jesus goes. Lastly, worry is a matter of the heart. Worry is a matter of the heart. The reason that the stakes are so high when it comes to worry is this. Jesus knows that our tendency to worry gets to the very heart of what we treasure and worship. That's why it's in the context of what you learned about last week, about our true treasure. When we worry, it gets to the very heart of what it is that we actually worship. Our sense of security and stability revolves around what we most desire. And so this passage raises a question for all of us that we need to ask. What is it that we most want? He says the pagans in verse 32, they seek All of these things. They run after these things. These things are most important to them. He's describing a group of people who, if they have not accepted God as their Lord and as their Savior, what do they have left? What they have left is everything you can see under the sun in this life. And then you have to trust in that. You have to trust in your job to provide for you because that's that's where it all ends. That's the final word. Like, what else are you going to trust in? Jesus is saying, if this is the way you're going to live, it's really an anti-God state of, of mind. If this is the way that you're going to live, then you have to trust in these things. And as a result, anxiety and worry will be the norm. You have to supply for yourself. For those who believe that these things in this life alone are the most important things, worry and anxiety will never leave. Here's an exercise that's healthy for me. I guarantee that it's good for you. After you've been through just a particular season of worry, maybe it was this last week, maybe, maybe it's right now, I don't know, you're like, ah, this whole thing is making me worry. So write down, I don't know if you make a practice of, of journaling, but write down, once you've come through that season of worry, maybe that particular situation is done, maybe lo and behold, you still have your job on Monday. That would be a great thing, right? So then go and write down and say, why was I so worried? What matters to me so much that I felt fearful and worried? See, there's always a reason under our our worry. I don't know if um, if you've ever seen those like top 10 list of people's worst fears, you ever read those lists? Not that I make it a habit of like searching for those things, but I did come across one publication that said like top worst fears and more than spiders and like deep water clowns and confined spaces. The top one is almost always public speaking. Yay for me. <laughs> but psychologists have discovered that the reason why public speaking is usually at the top of our worst fears is because underneath that, what we fear is rejection. Like if I don't say this right, if, if this doesn't go well, they're going to reject me. Like I won't be accepted. So we need to do this work of digging a little bit deeper and saying like, what is my concern? What is it that worries me? And why is that? To put it simply, the wrong kind of care comes from the wrong kind of kingdom. When we're excessively worried about something, we're like, yeah, yeah, God, I know you control, but like this has got to go well because people have to accept me. I have to have this much money in my bank account. Otherwise, I I don't even know who I am. And in that moment, practically, functionally, we're building a different kingdom. It's centered on on our name and our own resources. And in my case, I realize if I do this exercise, I realize that oftentimes I'm so worried just because I I care about my reputation or I care about how I'll be perceived or received by, by other people. When we are worrying in the face of all that God has said about himself, who he is, what he has done for us, what he is doing for us, what he will do for us, and we're still worrying in the face of that, then we are in fact seeking security and stability in something other than God. See, the reason we have so much worry in our lives is because so often we're building on unstable things. It's like when my kids want to build a fort in our house and they want to like stand on something. They never choose like the safety approved ladder. Like they need to get something from the bookshelf. They never go get like the actual step ladder with like built-in safety features. They get like a ball, They're like, this is a good idea. I will stand on this ball. And from this vantage point, I will be able to reach the book, you know, from the upper part of the the library. And then I just see them and they're like, ah, and then they're like, disasters waiting to happen. Like, why did you choose the ball? Like, that is the most unstable thing you could ever choose to do this job. And when I see that happening, it's as if the Holy Spirit is saying, Tim, you do the same thing. It's as if God is looking down, like, why did you choose the ball? Like, you know. (laughs) You're going to put your trust in the market like, oh, why am I so worried? He's like, you're standing on a ball. (laughs) How is that going to give you security in life? Jesus says, no. What does he say for us to do here? What what is the advice? He doesn't just say, stop worrying. That That would be uncompassionate. He doesn't just say, stop worrying. What does he say? But seek first, verse 33. His kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Friends, here's what we need. A greater vision of God's kingdom and a greater vision of God's care. We need to know that his kingdom is the only kingdom that will last. His truth, who he is, his righteousness, the, the, the way that he's called us to live, this is the concrete foundation upon which we are to build our lives. So Jesus is saying, instead of being obsessed with our circumstances, his remedy is not don't be obsessed. His remedy is be obsessed with God. Seek first, of first importance, the kingdom of God. Come under his gracious rule. Follow his ways. Listen to the words of Jesus. The cure for the worries of my heart is the worship of God. I need to be reminded of who God is. I need to be reminded of how he's called me to live. Trouble will come, he says. Jesus is not promising immunity from disasters. He says, no, tomorrow's gonna have trouble. But God gives us grace for each and every day. And one of the ways we experience this grace is through prayer. And I want us to reflect on this before we we pray together and respond. I can't stop worries from appearing in my heart. But I'm very thankful that Jesus has given us an alternative Moments of anxiety become an invitation to pray. Prayer is a practice to which Jesus has made a promise. Here's a verse you know well, Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Simple practices that help my heart and I hope help yours and we can put them into practice today. If you want to kill your worries, if I can just put it as dramatically as that because I'm kind of dramatic. To kill our worries through prayer. There's three ways we can pray. The first is pray continually. Jesus says pray all the time. Paul there says in everything. Pray. His mercies are new every morning. I love this because Jesus doesn't just say, hey, you're worrying. Stop it. That's not like, he says, stop and focus on my kingdom. Stop and come to me. Pray about everything. One pastor I heard, uh, he said, I have yet to meet a chronic worrier who has an excellent prayer life. (laughs) There's just something about it. Like, pray continually. Secondly, pray specifically. Like, write out your worries. Like, I am worried. Be brutally honest before God. I'm worried about losing my job. I'm worried about what other people think of me. I'm worried of my current relationship. I'm worried about my finances. I'm worried about this. And then bring that, turn it into a prayer. Say, God, I am worried about this, but I'm giving it to you right now in prayer, remembering that you care for me. Pray specifically. We oftentimes pray so generically. God, God, your kingdom come. Amen. (laughs) I'm like, I prayed this morning. Like, what? I even did a portion of the Lord's prayer. First or second line. (laughs) Pray specifically, like write out that list of worries and then pray them. And thirdly, pray thankfully. And you know what? The only way you can do that is by leaving your cares with him. (laughs) But if you're like me, you're like the person who gives something, like, you know, when you delegate responsibility, like in work, you're like, here, you got it? Yeah. Okay, take it. (laughs) They're like, you're still holding on. I'm like, I know. I just, I don't know if you got it. Like... (laughs) See, some of you are managers and bosses. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like checking in like, hey, how are you doing with that project? They're like, I just walked in the room. You're like, oh, just just making sure. I am so often like that, which is nothing other than idolatry with God. I'm like, God, are you sure you got this? I think, I think I might be able to do a better job. Maybe, I don't know, just maybe give it back to me. No, pray thankfully. Let your request be made known to God with thanksgiving. We may not be taken out of our troubles, but peace, as many of us may know, is not the absence of troubles. It's the presence of God within our troubles. Paul Miller, who wrote a great book on prayer, said this, Prayer does not offer us a less busy life, but a less busy heart. So he's not saying that this week's not going to be stressful or whatever. Jesus is saying, I'm with you. Seek first the kingdom. How can I leave it with him? It's only in knowing his care for me. Friends, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to say to you this morning, he sees you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, he sees you. He knows you. He knows all of your cares. He knows all that is concerning you. And Jesus in this passage is saying that true clothing and true food comes from above. It comes from him. This is what the gospel is all about. We are in need of covering because of our sin and our shame. And Jesus came to save us. And when he did, when he he walked on this earth, he went to the cross where he was stripped of all that he had to die on that cross, to pay for all of our, our sin and all of our, our wrong and rose again to clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As a, and this is received as a gift. It's not something we achieve. It's something that we receive and we are clothed in his beauty. We are fed by his provision. And so his kingdom perspective, his rule, his reign, saying, God, you are in charge. I am not changes the way we say everything. Will I be safe? Jesus says, you want to talk about security? Build your life on Jesus and not even death will have the last word. Says, well, will I be valued? Jesus says, you want to talk about value? Look at the price I paid for you. I laid down my life for you. And if Jesus sought you when you were not seeking him, if he cared for you when you weren't caring caring for him, you have nothing to worry about. So church, seek the one who has first sought you. If God has already taken care of your greatest need, which is to be delivered from the punishment of all of our sin, which he did on the cross, how much more will he take care of all of your lesser needs? So if you haven't yet done so, I invite you today to trust in Jesus. Believe upon him. For some of you, that will be the first time. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you took care of my greatest need. I surrender my life to you. And church, let us do the same. We follow the words of Peter who said, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's in knowing that, that you're free from the tyranny of worry and healing happens in your soul. Do we want that? Let's trust in him for it. Father, we pray together right now that we would experience this deep healing in our soul. I pray that your Holy Spirit would shine a light specifically on the areas that we are most prone to worry about. That you would reveal to us the reason behind that worry, the wrongful thinking, the wrong ways we view you and view ourselves. God, we know that you do that not to condemn us, but to heal us. You don't give us this command not to worry, to shame us, but to heal us. Because you've given us a reason not to worry. You love us. You care for us more than we could ever possibly care for ourselves. And so now as we come to your table, as we worship you, I pray that it wouldn't just be going through the motions. I pray that this moment now would be an act of surrender to you, to a God who cares. I pray this in Jesus' name.